Well, I hope you're enjoying our service today. A lot going on as we've been talking about four services, not only our three campuses, uh, but also in Sandusky at Kalahari and, and starting a new year, starting a new series, Hindsight 2020. And, and here, although Hindsight's 2020, we're going to learn that our past doesn't define us. And, uh, and that's where we're at, just like Dan was talking about there. We... I, I got to tell you, I, I see people all the time, and maybe you do too, uh, people who, who were once involved in church. They were excited about their life with God. They were thriving. They were enthusiastic. They were joy-filled. And then you'll run into them a few years later, and, and it's not that way. They've, they've kind of fallen away. They... they uh, don't attend church or, or at least don't attend near as much as they used to. And they've lost their joy. And they've, uh, they've kind of sit themselves on the sideline. They've, they've really stopped actively pursuing God. And they just, they just sit themselves out. And the big question is, when we see this, why? Why does that happen? Well, inevitably, it's, it's always something about Something happened. Something happened in their past. Uh, some circumstance, some issue, some sin, some failure, whatever it is, something happened. And then that issue in their past redefined their future. That issue in their past froze them up somehow where they didn't want to keep moving forward. They didn't want to keep following God, and, and again, they just kind of set back. Their past, they let their past or a past issue define their future with God. And when they do that, when people do that, when we do that, we misunderstand God, and we misunderstand what it means to really follow Him. And, and we learn a lot about this kind of dynamic through Scripture. For example... Peter. Peter's life, we can learn many things from in this kind of a topic. Remember Peter, uh, he was a fisherman. He was called by Jesus to, to follow him and, and fish for people. I mean, it's really an amazing thing. And could you imagine being Peter? He's just a regular guy. He, he's got some partnerships. They have a couple of boats, a couple of guys. They're out on the Sea of Galilee. They're fishing. He becomes aware of this rabbi. He meets him. And the next thing, he's following Jesus through the most exciting period in all of human history. Three years. He, he was with Jesus 24-7. He saw all the, th the miraculous things that Jesus did. Peter walked on water. He, he had a ringside seat to this amazing ministry that Jesus was doing on our earth. And at one point, um, Jesus asked his disciples, hey, who do you think, who, who do people say that I am? And then the disciples all throw out their, their ideas. They're actually kind of on the outskirts of Israel. They're, they're near a pagan town, Caesarea Philippi. They're having this conversation one evening. And he says, hey, who do people say? And they throw out, well, here's what I've heard, all the different opinions. And then Jesus says, who do you say 
that I am. And it's Peter is the one, remember, who says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes, that's right. You're spot on. You get it and you're bold enough to say it. And then Jesus starts teaching about the fact that he's going to go to Jerusalem, back to Jerusalem, and then he's going to suffer, and he's going to eventually be killed. And Jesus is telling this to the disciples. Peter grabs Jesus, pulls him off for a sidebar, and says, no way! This is not going to happen. There's no way this is going to happen. Jesus, being pulled aside, turns back to the disciples and addresses the whole group, looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Whoa! Could you imagine? What? And Peter recovers from that, and he continues following Jesus. And then they enter into Jerusalem just like Jesus said that they would. He enters Jerusalem. He cleanses the temple. He's got this running debate with the leaders, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem about theology. And they're they're doing all this stuff. And then when things get really tense, when things are really dicey, Jesus pulls his disciples up into the upper room and they celebrate Passover. And while they're having that meal, this is the night that he was betrayed, he says... One of you, one of you will betray me. They wrap up the meal. They start heading outside of the city to a garden called Gethsemane to spend the night in prayer. As they go there, Peter pulls Jesus aside again and basically says, Hey, I don't know about these other guys. I will never deny you. And Jesus says, You will. You'll deny me before the rooster crows in the morning. And, and Peter's just dumbfounded. They get to, the, they get to the, the garden there. Jesus wants to spend some time in prayer. He asks his disciples to pray. And, he, and they keep falling asleep. And then that night it happens. Jesus is betrayed. An armed cohort comes in to the garden. Jesus is identified. They grab him. Peter is the one that grabs a weapon and jumps in the fray and starts fighting them off. Until Jesus says, knock it off. And that's the context as we pick up reading in Luke chapter 22. We're going to begin with 54. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priests. But Peter's following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. So see this, they go to the house of the high high priest, big fancy houses in those days in Jerusalem were built around a center courtyard that was semi-open to other people. And these people are sitting down, they get a fire going. Peter is trailing along, following to see what's happening with Jesus. He's warming himself by the fire. In the meantime, he can see little bits and pieces of what's going on inside the house, inside what's happening with Jesus. 56. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, 
This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, woman, I, I don't know him. A little later, another saw him and said, you, you're, you're one of them too. But Peter said, I'm not. And after about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, certainly this man was with him, for he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. What a failure. I mean, talk about failure. Peter did exactly what he had just told a few hours ago. He just told Jesus he would never, ever do. He did it. And then Peter watches as the world, his world falls apart. The rest of the night, Jesus is drugged through physically one kind of mock partisan trial after another. And he's rejected He's mocked, ends up being condemned, and then is tortured to death on the cross. And it's as bleak as it can be. But then hope arises three days later at the resurrection. Mary, the first witness to the resurrection, goes and then there's an angel there and the angel gives Mary a message to tell the disciples and she says, besides that Jesus is not here, he's risen, to tell them, hey, tell the disciples and Peter, specifically, and Peter, to meet me in Galilee. And so she delivers uh, that message and Jesus briefly appears to all the disciples, but Peter and six of the other disciples remember that instruction. So after these brief appearances where they've seen Jesus, they travel to Galilee for this meeting that Jesus wanted with them. And and they get there, and Peter, he's seen Jesus, but they haven't had the conversation. They really haven't talked in depth. They really haven't had the one-on-one about what went down that night. And his failure is eating him. He hadn't talked to Jesus in depth since the night he promised Jesus that he would never deny him. And as they're sitting there, they're waiting to meet Jesus. He and these other six disciples, Peter says, you know what? I'm going fishing. And it's interesting that he says this because a lot of times we don't think much of it. But he's saying, I'm going fishing. Remember, that's his career. So he's either saying one of two things. Peter's either saying, hey, while we're here on the shore, killing time, waiting for Jesus, I'm going to go fishing. Or he's saying, you know what? I can't be used. I'm disqualified. I'm out. I'm heading back to my old career. It'd be like if, if I told Pam, Hey, Pam, I'm going to go play some basketball. I'm going to go play basketball. Well, she would think, oh, I must be going down to the rack to shoot hoops for an hour or so. But remember years ago when Michael Jordan, he, 
actually retired from basketball and jumped into his childhood dream of playing baseball, which was a disaster. But he jumped in there to play baseball. And then when that kind of flamed out, then he had a news conference. And then he said, I'm playing basketball. You see, Michael Jordan and I might say the same words there. But they mean two completely different things, right? I mean, hey, I'm just going to go kill an hour. Michael Jordan means I'm getting back to what I do. Same thing here. I think this is what's happening. I think Peter is making a career statement. He say, hey, you guys are here. Yeah, everything's changed now. Jesus rose. So, yeah, there's victory. But it's not the same anymore Look what I've done. Look what I said I would do. Look what I didn't do. You know what? I'm going back to fishing. And that's what a whole bunch of people do today. It's the same thing people do today. I meet a lot of people like Peter. I mean, he failed. He blew it. He sinned. And so what does he do? You know, throw a pity party and write in his journal? No, he doesn't do that. A lot of people do that. He does what a lot of others of us do. He just withdraws. He falls back to his routine. He goes to work. He gets busy with life. And so many of us, we try to wall out shame, something from the past, bad choices, tragic circumstances, the loss of a loved one, whatever it is. And, and we, to do that, we just bounce ourselves between busyness and distraction. Busyness and distraction. We distract ourselves with hobbies or games or partying or what. We start living for something else. Or we just busy ourselves by immersing ourselves in work. Now, work is a good thing. God wants us to work. But if you're immersing yourself in work to escape pain or regret... You're just cocooning yourself from reality, and then it's not good. You're just saying, hey, I'm going to dive into something I can win at. I'm going to dive into something that I'm comfortable. Let me do anything to distract me so I don't have to deal with the pain in here. I'll do whatever so I don't have to deal with this busyness, distraction. We can only imagine how Peter must have felt. As he's trying to process what happened, how things fell apart, what he did, how he let Christ down. And so he just decides to, to busy himself, what, what he knows. He'll do what he knows. He, he'll take a step back from God. He'll, he'll stop actively pursuing God. And then I want to pick it up there, John 21. John 21 it continues this, the story that when Jesus gets there to meet with them. Simon Peter said to them, John 21, verse 3, I'm going fishing. And notice, and they said to him, we'll also come with you. Okay, well, I think I know what Peter's saying. I'm not sure I know what these guys, although three of those other guys were also fishermen, don't know what's going on there. But the, here's what I do know. Peter was a leader. And I want to tell you something. So are you. To some extent, so are you. Because we all influence someone. 
Don't kid yourself that you can take a step back from God in your own heart and nobody notices that. You influence people. The people around you, people you, you would never suspect will be influenced by what you'll do. They'll notice. They'll be influenced by what you're doing. They're noticed by others. And verse 3 continues, and they went out and got into the boat and that night caught nothing. And I think this is just God messing with them, right? You know, they're professionals. They're out there all night long. They come up, zip. I think God's just messing with Peter because God doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave his children alone. We, we don't just walk away from him without God pursuing us. And he may poke us or prod us to get us to think about what we're doing. He doesn't give up. He keeps pursuing. That continues verse 4. But the day was now breaking. So it's a bust. They're heading back in. Dawn is breaking. Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples don't know that it was Jesus. So Jesus, from a distance, Jesus said to them, Children, you don't have any fish, do you? And they answered, No. And he said to them, Well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. So they cast. And then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. It's really kind of comical. How's the fishing going? Terrible. Throw over on the right side. And there's something here that's very easy to miss when you're reading through this. What's easy to miss is Jesus has said this before. It's no accident that this is playing out this way. Do you remember it? It was way back before Peter knew Jesus. When Jesus first started his ministry. He's in Galilee. And all of a sudden this new rabbi, former carpenter, kind of hits the scene, and people are crowding in to hear about Jesus. And Jesus happens to be on the shore of Galilee where there's some fishing partners who have fished all night. They have two boats. There's four of them, and it was a bust all night long, and they're on the shore. They're mending their nets, and they're watching all this happening. And pretty soon, Jesus is pressed, pressed, pressed. He can't get away from the people, so he turns to Peter and says, hey, put out your boat and let me get in it so I can teach without being trampled. Peter, long night, Peter does it. And so Jesus teaches the people from the boat. When he's done, he tells Peter, let's go out into deeper water and let down the nets. Okay, Peter's probably going, you know, I've been fishing all night. You just used my boat for a platform, which is fine. But now you, carpenter turned rabbi, we're going to go out and go fishing? You know, that's the plan? Oh, throw it on this side? Like this side, and but he does it, maybe just to humor Jesus. I don't know. He does it, and what happens? Boom! Fish are coming in, and he can't get them all. And there's so many fish, the nets start tearing. Right, and so then he calls out to his partners with the other boat that are still on the shore. Hey, bring the other boat. They scramble. They get in the boat. They come out. They start hauling in fish. The fish start landing in the boat. As they're emptying the nets on the boat, there's so many fish, both boats begin to sink. And Peter, a fisherman all his life, 
throws himself down at the feet of Jesus. And he says, go away from me, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus, remember what he said? You need to follow me. Come with me. Follow me. And we'll fish for people. And he does, and that's the very beginning of his ministry. So don't miss this. In John 21, don't miss what happened earlier that we read about in, I think it's Luke 5. In the moment of Peter's greatest failure, Jesus recreates the miracle that he first used to call Peter. It's like, remember this. The story continues in verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to this is John, one of the partners there, whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was Lord, he put on his outer garment on, for he had stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came, came in the little boat, for they were not far from land and about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. They got one boat this time, and they're coming in. Peter just throws himself in. He's seen this before. He's swimming to the shore. And so when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish. And you know they're fishermen, they're 153. You know, they tell you the number, not, hey, about 150, or most fishermen around here, hey, a couple of hundred. No, 153 of them. And there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come. And have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. And now this is the third time that Jesus was manifest to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. See the tension? Peter realizes it's Jesus. We learned from a text that they're only 100 yards from the shore in the boat. And there's, a, you know, there's four of them, or six of them, I guess. Seven, counting Peter. And Peter didn't wait. He throws on his coat, because he's got business, and he throws, flings himself. This probably wasn't a nice swan, you know, dive. This is like, he hurls himself into the water. Probably the other guys are rowing in past Peter. Okay, yeah, whatever, impetuous. They get to shore, pull up the fish. He's inviting them. But there's still tension, right? Because, yeah, it's the third time, remember, Christ shows up with the disciples minus Thomas. He shows up briefly with the disciples with Thomas and now here. There's been no, they haven't had that conversation, right? Right? You with me? Well, here's that conversation. Next verse, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. You see, this is kind of an unusual exchange. And what's happening here is Jesus is dealing with Peter's past failure. And the question is, are you letting God deal with your past failure? How do we deal with our past? How do we make sure that it doesn't define us? Well, there's kind of three steps we see playing out here. First, we admit, identify what happened. Sometimes we fail because of unavoidable circumstance. It's really not a sin thing. It's just a failure thing. It just happens. Sometimes it's because of unwise decisions. They're just foolish. No harm meant. Sometimes they're because of sinful choices. But because those other two didn't fit Peter, it's the sinful choices that really fit Peter. His failure was worse. He failed because he knowingly, purposely did exactly what he said he would never do. And he knew he had failed. And so that's the first step is just identifying what's going on. Remember the warm weather around Christmas? <laughs> yes, you do. You won't admit it, but you do. A couple of days, I had a couple of days of vacation. So I went out in the back and I was doing some, I was, I'm building a loft in my barn and then I was, uh, we have woods behind our house and you know a lot of brush and branches accumulate and so I'm burning them and I'm just it's really very relaxing for me to do all this stuff because I don't have that kind of a job you know I sit around all day and so I'm out there doing this stuff and uh, and then the next day I realize I've gotten poison ivy bad poison ivy and uh what I've determined, you know, so first, and then I'm figuring, how did that happen? I mean, I get it, it's all over my arm, then on my leg, and then on my face, and then on my other arm. It was just, you know, it was just poison ivy everywhere. And, you know, it's like, oh, how did that, and so what do I do? You know, I'm, I'm trying to identify, okay, what's good? This is bad, this is not good. By the way, I also had a wedding, and it's on my face. And so, you know, I'm trying to, and so I realized, okay, I've gotten poison. At first, I thought I had burnt my face, but anyway, that's another story because I got a little too close to the fire. But and it's a big fire, you know. But anyway, um, and so I'm starting. I'm treating them. I realize, and, and I start doing some research because this actually happened to me about a year before. I got terrible, terrible poison ivy. It's like, man, I used to never get poison ivy. And so I'm, and then I'm realizing, okay, there's, if I think I've been exposed, I know what to do. What, what I do is I'll go in and take like dishwashing soap that, you know, cuts oil and I'll scrub it up. And then I've learned even better is to do that with a rag rather than just your hands or whatever, like you'd normally wash your hands. And so, but, but I didn't know I was exposed. And the funny thing is I kept, you know, every once in a while people, what's going on with your face? I got poison ivy. What were you doing? Well, I was burning. And then they say, oh, were you burning? And I'm like, yeah, like some, there's some mysterious thing about burning that you get poisoned. I did not know that. Nobody told me that. But anyway, so, you know, so now I have a plan. You identify what happened. And then, okay, so now it's like whether I think I'm exposed or not, anytime I'm hauling brush or burning or whatever around my place, I'm going to go in, I'm going to scrub up as if I was exposed to poison ivy because I don't know, right? Is that a good plan? And then hopefully I'll avoid the consequences. It's the same thing for us when 
when anything happens, when any circumstance overtakes us, that we do, that's not good. we got to identify first how it happened. The great thing about Peter is he gets it. A lot of people will not admit that they did anything wrong. Peter mans up. Yeah, I blew it. He's, he's guilty. He's not just, oh, poor me. Uh, look what happened to me. He's like, what have I done? So that's the first thing. We just identify what's going on. Identify what has happened. Uh, and then taking some responsibility... We bring our past to God, and if it involves sin, we do it with a repentant heart. If it's not, maybe it doesn't involve sin, well, then a sorrowful or a broken heart. But if it involves any wrongdoing at all, we come to God, we bring our past to God with a repentant heart. That means that we are sorry before God that we did this against him, and we can see that in Peter's life. He's broken, he's sorry, he's bummed. And, and when I say repentant, if you don't understand what that means, repentance is really where we have changed our mind about what we've done, that we recognize that we should not have done that, and we want that change of mind leads to a different direction. We change our mind about that and decide that we don't want to do that, we don't want to do those actions. It turns us in this context to go. That, that's kind of what the whole salvation thing, right, is, is we come to some point that we realize that we're guilty of breaking God's laws, and we all are, and then we realize that God has made provision, and we come to him with a repentant heart. God, I'm sorry for what I've done. Don't want to keep living apart from you. Don't want to keep going my own direction, and then God forgives us, and then we, and we come to God, we call out on God, knowing we're guilty, Asking God to forgive us with a desire to follow and live life his way, which we never do perfectly, but that's our desire. That's repentance. We want to turn and live his way. Well, once we become a believer, then we can never lose our salvation. But when we get caught up in sin or failure or whatever is, is beating us up in life, we bring that back to God. And if it's sin, we're reminded of God's forgiveness and his cleansing. And as David says in the Old Testament, he restores to us the joy of our salvation. The joy of, not just reminds us of salvation, restores the joy of our salvation. And then we move on by recognizing God's call on our life. You see, if you're a believer, that's God's call on your life. That's the most important part of your life. When we come to God with a broken, repentant heart, he reminds us of his forgiveness. He restores the joy of our salvation. And see how, notice how Jesus does this with Peter. Here's, here's the talk. Do you love, this is, this is interesting. Have you ever noticed this? Do you love me? We get that. More than these. They're standing on the shore. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me more than these? And so the question is, what are, what's these? Well, there's three options. He's either saying this. Do you love me more than you love these other six guys? The other disciples happen to be with him there. 
Or he's saying, do you love me more than these guys love me? Or he's saying, do you love me more than these fish that are laying here? Kind of like your old profession. And I don't know that we could know that for sure, but it really doesn't matter because what he's saying is, do you love me first? Because if you do, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, shepherd my flock, move on. Get busy. Move forward. Get back to following. Get back to your calling. Get back to what you were designed for. Move on. I know you love me. Let's go. And Jesus challenges Peter to get busy. Get back to his purpose. Back to living for him. It's the same with us. Get back to your purpose. Get back to why God has created you. Get back to living for Jesus. Get back to influencing people for God. Because that's what you were made for. And Jesus says it's time. And there's no time better than now, right? If you've been holding back as some issue in your life, move on. Get beyond that. Remember Christ's love for you. Remember when he called you. Move on. Move forward. There's no better time to do that. First Sunday of 2020. Move on. It's time. We're going to have Caleb uh, come out, and we're going to close in a song. Before we do that, I'd like to lead you in prayer. But I want you to be thinking about this. Are you determined this year, first Sunday of this year, to not let your past hinder you or define you, not, not spiritually especially, and whatever's anchoring you, whatever's slowing you, whatever's hindering you, whatever's slowing you down, you're to lay that aside. Remember Christ's love for you and get back into the game. Get back to what God has designed you for. It's time. Let's stand together. Father God, we, we come to you. We, we thank you for the amazing salvation that you've given us. We thank you for these leaders who have come before us, like Peter, who weren't perfect. And we see that playing out in the pages of Scripture. And Lord, it gives us hope. We're not perfect either. And we get bogged down in the pain of life, of loss, of grief. We get bogged down in our sin and shame and regret. And sometimes it binds us up where we just quit moving and we tend to just want to cocoon ourselves by going back to what we're comfortable with. By just getting busy. By distracting our minds so we don't have to think about what's going on in our heart. Lord, bring us back to reality. Bring us back to purpose. Bring us back to being fully engaged with you. And give us back the joy of our salvation. In Christ's name, amen.
as uh, Kim leads this song as we're singing today, and, and Caleb, uh, I invite you just during the song, if you want to, if uh, you just use this time to reflect on your heart, maybe come up and pray, if you think that's appropriate, if that'd be good for you. But let's focus all our thoughts on Him. <laughs>